you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 19 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, the Lord has uh, given me liberty this week to go back to the sermon that I preached a few weeks ago and let me introduce you to him. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of times what, what happens is we forget uh, who Jesus really is. And uh, let me tell you, he's still the great I am. He is still the Savior that John seen on the bank of the river. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the whole world. Let me tell you, friend, He is still the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. Let me tell you, friend, that He is still God. He is still sitting on the right hand of the Father, desiring to make intercession for you and I. He's still there. And this morning, He is desiring for you to come boldly into the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Hebrews 4 and uh, 16. He's desiring for you to come unto Him. I believe that in front of the altar or in front of the throne of God is an altar. Maybe not similar to these, uh, but I can promise you this, that as red as these are, the altar in heaven is even redder because that is where the blood of Christ is and it is desiring to wash you from your sin. He is desiring to save your soul this morning. Uh, and I pray that uh, before you leave this uh, service this morning, that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can. You can. And He's here, and He's wanting you uh, to be serious, trying to preach for me. He's wanting you to come before Him. Luke chapter 19, one verse. I'll ask you to stand this morning. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning as humble as we know how. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings on us, and we thank you, Father, uh, for the songs that have already been sang this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for each and every soul that is here. Father, you know their need. Father, you know whether or not they are burned down with troubles and care. Uh, God, that they might come before the throne of grace uh, and find mercy to help in their time of need. Father, I ask that you would meet their needs this morning. Father, but if there's somebody here, and Lord, I pray that there is, that there's somebody here that is lost, that is undone without God, that is seeking something in their life. God, I pray that you would become their all in all. I pray that they would come uh, uh, unto you, unto the throne, unto the uh, throne room of heaven where the mercy seat is. And God, let the blood of Christ that was shed at Calvary cover their sin and forgive them uh, for all eternity. Father, I pray that you would give them everlasting life today, but I pray that they would come boldly. And God, that they would accept you as their Savior and as their Lord. Father, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross this morning. God, it's nothing about me. Father, there's been some that have uh, thought it's been about me or things that I've done, but Father, it's truly nothing that I've done. But God, I want you to be magnified. I want you to be glorified. And Father, as that song said, we want to praise your name and lift you up. And Father, we pray that you'll be lifted up and draw all men unto you. Father, you are in the saving business. Father, you are in the healing business. And Father, you are in the business to help others. And Father, I pray that they would get help today. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave here the same way that we came in. Father, I pray that you'd anoint the Scripture. Uh, I pray that you'd anoint me with the Spirit of God that I may not be seen, 
but that the Holy Spirit of God may preach through me. Father, we love you today. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. May we see you this morning. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I want to give you a, a preface to uh, this text. We find in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus is passing through Jericho. And there is a tax collector or a publican by the name of Zacchaeus. He's a short man. He's, he's, uh, and if I can imagine something, he may be just a little taller than this pulpit this morning. Uh, and I don't want to pick on anybody this morning, so I ain't going to call any names uh, because I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning. But some of you may think that I'm talking to you, uh, and if you do, then that's fine. But uh, know that I mean it out of the kindness of my heart this morning. Uh, but Zacchaeus, he was a short man, and he was a, he was a short of stature. And many of that, that day and time, I don't believe that they were probably as quite as heavy as I am, but I, I imagine that they were probably about my height and maybe a little taller. Uh, and so when Jesus was passing by, it was hard for Zacchaeus to see Jesus as he walked. Truthfully, not many people cared for Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And the Bible says in, in, in uh, verse number uh, 2, said that, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was one of the wealthiest men in the city. And how tax collectors got their wealth was whatever your tax amount was, they would double it. And that extra money that you would give to the tax collectors, they would pocket that. And that would be their salary or their income. And that's how they made their wealth. And so they were a very wicked people, tax collectors were. And some of you may say, and there still are today. Well, uh, uh, I'm not going to get into that this morning, but in that day and time, and I'll be honest, ain't much changed with that, but uh, in that day and time, tax collectors were despised. People hated to pay their taxes. People hated to go because they knew that they were going to uh, uh, have to put in more than what they got back. And that's the way Zacchaeus earned his wealth. And that's how he earned a living and a livelihood. And that's why the Bible says, and he was rich because he was a publican and he sought gain by extortion and by getting people to come and pay their tithes and whatnot. And so he was very despised. People didn't want him near them. They didn't want to hang out with him. They were publicans. And even in the Word of God, Jesus was asked, why do you sit with publicans and tax collectors? Why do you eat? And Jesus said in uh, Luke chapter 5, he said that I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. He said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And so this morning we see that he has come not just for the house of Israel. He has not came just for those uh, who would uh, uh, accept him. But he has not come just for the rich or for the poor, but he has come for all. For those that are lost, the Word of God says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me say this, friend. In order for you to get born again, in order for you to get saved, you must first get lost. you got to get lost before you can get saved. you got to realize that you're a sinner before you can become a saint. you got to realize that you're sick before you can be made whole. I mean, you've got to realize that there's a need in your life that only God can meet before Christ can come into your heart. 
R. Albert Moeller Jr. said the only culturally acceptable way to hold to one God is to concede that the religions of the world are all feeble and frail attempts to define the divine. Every religion doing as best as it can. In other words, every religious system just reflects human beings' limited and ethnically determined conceptualities on their innate religious quest. But the Christian gospel is not mere monotheism. It is a mono-redemptive message. We believe not merely that there is salvation in the name of Christ, but that there is salvation in no other name. You can't get saved by George Washington. You can't get saved by the amount of money that's in your bank account. You can't get saved by the federal government or by the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. You cannot get saved that way, friend. But salvation is only in the name of Christ. And as I started this sermon a few weeks ago, I was talked to you about that he was a man. And he still today is a man. He is clothed in uh, this flesh, but he was slain for the enmity of man. That was between man and God. That was because of the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. We are all made sinners, not because of the sin that is in our life. Not because that uh, people are murderers or drug addicts or alcoholics. That's not what makes us sinners. What makes us sinners is the disobedience that happened all those years ago in the Garden of Eden. The original sin that started the, uh, the first time that man disobeyed God, it cursed man for generations and it is still cursing men and women today. Every boy and girl that is born are born into sin. Now I'm not going to get into the, to the age of accountability and all that. that. That's not where I'm going this morning. But I want us to understand that there is nothing that you have done to make yourself a sinner. It ain't your mama and daddy's fault either. It was Adam and Eve's fault. And God made it that way so that we could have redemption through His precious Son. So that if we could understand how lonely and how lost we truly are without God, that we would choose His only beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and how special of a gift salvation really is. See, in order to appreciate, and I preached on Ephesians chapter 2 not long ago, a few months back, and if we could understand how lost that mankind really is, and how black and how wretched a sinner that we really are, then we can appreciate the gospel. Then we can appreciate at a higher uh, level the great gift of salvation. Because honestly, we've heard the message of the gospel and we've heard the message of the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ alone for so many years that people have started to water it down. And, and it, it, to some people, it's not a great event. Uh, but let me tell you, friend, if you will accept Christ as your Savior this morning, it will be the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. Buying a new house, that's great. Buying a new pickup truck, boy, that's wonderful. Getting married, that is one of the most best times in a person's life. But one of the greatest events that ever happened in my life was the day that I made Jesus Christ my Lord. When I went to an altar, and I couldn't even fit at the altar because it was so full, but as I knelt in my pew, and I felt the Holy Spirit drawing me unto repentance, showing me, and listen, friend, you cannot get saved on your time. I've talked to several people saying, well, I want to get saved. Well, is the Lord dealing with you? 
Because if the Lord is not dealing with your heart and reproving you of sin and showing that you are a sinner, then you cannot be saved. The Bible says in John chapter 6, uh, verse 44, He said, uh, For my Father uh, which is in heaven... Let me see if I can find that real quick. John chapter 6, verse 44. He said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. And he's talking about the resurrection. Talking about the glorified body. Meaning that if the Holy Spirit of God will draw us unto the one He has sent, Jesus Christ, then we can be saved. And we can be born again. And when He comes back, we can be resurrected with Christ. We can have a glorified body with Him. But friend... Uh, the Holy Spirit must be drawing. The Holy Spirit must convict the loss of their sin. Sin has to be reproved. And that is why the law came. Because the law showed us that we were sinners. The law showed us that we could not live up to these uh, uh, statues. That's not kill. Well, James said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So if you have hatred in your heart, friend... You've broken a commandment. Another place in the New Testament said that if you've broken the least of these commandments, then you've broken the whole law. So you can't tell me this morning that you're perfect. I ain't perfect. I still mess up, but I still falter and I fail. But you know what? I have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And I can come before Him and confess my sin. The Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Same is true for the sinner. Same is true for that lost person. That if you'll come uh, unto the Jesus Christ, the righteous, the man, if you'll come unto the man, Jesus Christ, He is able to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, I believe it is, we find that there's a palsy man there laying on a bed, on a cot, and Jesus is in the house teaching. Well, four of His uh, friends thought, well, if we could just get him to Jesus, I know Jesus can heal him because in that day and time, uh, and, and if you look at the book of Luke, uh, Jesus is represented as the Son of Man. And that's why I went there this morning because I want us to understand that not only is he the Son of God, okay, not only uh, when Mary uh, was approached by the, by the angel and uh, he told her, Mary, thou highly beloved of God, Today thou shalt conceive in thy womb the, uh, of the Holy Ghost a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So from the very moment that Mary conceived in her womb, Christ became 100% God. He was 100% God. And when he was born, he was a 100% man. He had the five senses of a man, but he had the intelligence and the wisdom of God. He was the Word of God. But from the very beginning, in Luke chapter 2, He was represented as the Son of Man. Now Luke, he was a physician. He was a doctor. So we see a lot of miracles that Christ recorded uh, or done and performed in the book of Luke because He was a physician. And so in Luke chapter 2, we see that the palsied man... Uh, his friends lifted in, uh, him up onto the roof of that house and opened up the tiles of that roof and laid him at the feet of Christ. 
Now, I find it very uh, interesting that Jesus did not look at the man and say, because of your faith, you're made whole, rise and take up thy bed and walk. No, he didn't do that. He looked at the man and listen, this is Christ before he died for sin. He looked at the man and said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Let me tell you, friend, this morning, he is wanting to look at you and say, son or daughter, thy sins be forgiven thee. Rise and go thy way and sin no more. That's what he wants to do. The woman caught in the act of adultery, Christ had not died. But they were getting ready to stone her. They were getting, because of the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And if, they, if you are found guilty in the act of adultery by the Jewish law, they were to take you outside of the city, pick up some stones, and they were to stone you to death. What is the wages of sin? Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. We're all guilty. It doesn't matter if, if it was just a white lie. It doesn't matter if we just hadn't paid uh, our, our neighbor back. It doesn't matter if we've done somebody wrong. It doesn't matter if we've uh, uh, cursed or told a lie or, or, or murdered or, or whatever. But what matters is that we're all lost, that we're all sinners, and that we need to be found. Let me tell you, friend, that His goodness. There's a, a contemporary Christian song that says, Your goodness is running, running after me. Listen, He is running after you today. He is desiring for you to be His child. He is desiring for those that are sick to come and let Him heal them. He is desiring for those that are lost to be found. And I promise you that if you will let Him, He is on your case right now and He is desiring to find you. And if you will call upon Him while He is near, the Bible says He shall be found. He says that if we will call upon Him while He is near, we shall find Him. This morning, He's near. He's here. And He wants you to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need to be saved. Will you come into my heart and save me from my sin? See, some have asked this question. If you watch the, the uh, documentaries of American Gospel 1 and 2, there's a question that's asked on there. What is God saving us from? And some have said that I've been saved from hell. Yeah, I've been saved from hell. Some said I've been saved from my sin. Yeah, that's true. But the greatest thing that God is wanting to save us from is His wrath. Because God's wrath has to punish sin. God's wrath must send judgment upon sin. That's why we had the flood of great waters. And that's why Noah had to build an ark. Because that was the mercy. That was the grace of God. And He desired people to come into the ark so that they might be saved. To escape the wrath of God upon sin. That's why in uh, Genesis chapter 19 or 18 that we find that uh, God spoke to Abraham. He sent messengers into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and told Lot, He said, get your family and get everything that you have and get out of the city because I'm going to destroy this place with fire and brimstone. They said, don't look back when you leave the city. The Bible says as Lot got his stuff together and got his household in order that they left and went outside the city. But his wife turned and looked back because she wanted the pleasures of sin rather than the blessings of God. Friend, if you leave here today and you desire the pleasures of sin more than the blessings of God, 
Everything can be taken from you. It can all, you can lose it all. What gain, Jesus said, shall man have if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? How important is the stuff in your life? Is it greater than your soul? Is it greater to, uh, to have pleasures here on this earth? Or is it greater to know Christ and enjoy the pleasures and the blessings of God for eternity? Is it greater to experience a temporary life? Or is it greater to have eternal life? Because if you will make Christ your Savior, He will give you eternal life. He is God. Not only is He 100% man, not only has the Son of Man come to seek and to save that which is lost, but the Son of God has come that you might see the wondrous works of God, that the wondrous works of God may be manifested through His Son, Jesus Christ, that all who see Him might believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. David Hawking once said, one of the most interesting things is the name of our Lord, Yeshua. It is found everywhere throughout the Bible. It, will, it begins in the book of Genesis and ends in the book of Malachi. It is very interesting because it is everywhere. It is all over Isaiah 53 as well. Now if you take the letters and organize them like all first letters, then all second letters, and then all third letters, etc., which they do sometimes. Computers will read them down in columns, and it yields Yeshua HaMeshach, meaning Jesus is the Messiah. He is the coming one. He is the Holy One. And friend, He is coming back to receive those that have been blood-bought that have been blood purchased, that have been bought with a price, that have been redeemed, that have the garments of white, that have been dipped in blood. He's coming back to receive them unto himself. That where he is, we may be also. But all those who know not Christ as their Savior, those who have not found the remission of sins, those whose sins are not covered, because the Word of God says, Blessed is the man whose iniquity is forgiven, and whose sin is covered. Now, that's not saying that He put a blanket over our sin and that our sin remains. No, that's not what that word means. Cover in the Word of God means it's totally wiped away. That it's no more to be remembered. He has given a new slate. All of your past sins have been forgotten about. You will remember them. I still remember my past sin. I still remember the sinner I once was. But thank God, God don't. Because the moment I accepted His Son's sacrifice on the cross, and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe that Thou art the Son of God. I believe that on the third day, God raised His Son up by the power of God. And that He's alive forevermore. That He is alive today in bodily form. That's why Thomas wanted to reach out and touch Him. And I'll get there later. But when I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I said, Lord, I believe. Listen, uh, uh, Philip went to an Ethiopian eunuch. 
And he asked, he said, understandest what thou readest? And he said, how can I? And the Bible says, and Philip, begin in Isaiah chapter 53. And at that place, he began to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus. Jesus. Because the prophet Isaiah prophesied of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. Then he asked the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, Believest thou this? And he said, Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he said, Can I be baptized? And he said, Only if thou believest that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, can you be baptized? He said, And it will save you and your household. Listen, today, I'm not going to baptize anybody that does not believe that Jesus is the Christ. I will not baptize anybody that does not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that it's only through Him. Listen, there's a lot of doctrines today going around the world saying that there's many different ways to get to heaven, that you can get there on your good works, you can get there on your finances, you can get there by attending a, a mega church and uh, attending a church regularly. Friend, none of those things will get you to heaven. The only thing that will get you to heaven is the Son of Man. And His name is Jesus. Now, I'm going to be very quick. If you have your pens, if you have your notes, take notes because I'm going to be uh, going through this very quickly. Several verses in the Word of God prove the deity of Christ. He is 100% God. Starting in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received in, uh, in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now I told you, the law is there to show us that we are sinners. But thanks be unto God that grace and truth has came by Jesus Christ that all might be made righteous through Him. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. John chapter 4, verse 25 through 26, the woman on Jacob's well said, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. John chapter 6, verse 48, He said, I am that bread of life. No man can live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Father. And Jesus Christ is the Word become flesh. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 24 says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 58 says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am, meaning himself. R.C. Sproul, uh, I'm going to take a break here just for a second. R.C. Sproul uh, uh, said that... Uh, Charles Spurgeon once stated, There is more of God's glory and majesty to be seen in the manger and the cross than in the sparkling stars above, the rolling deep below, the towering mountain, the teeming valleys, the abodes of life, or the abyss of death. Let us then give ourselves up to holy wonder, 
such as will produ uh, produce gratitude, worship, love, and confidence as we think of that great mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. He's talking about Jesus Christ. The idea here is that Christ is vera homo, vera deus, truly man and truly God. Christ has a true human nature and a true divine nature. These two natures are perfectly united in one person. John chapter 9 verse 5 says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. By me if any man will enter uh, in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. John 10 14 says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. J uh, uh, Dr. James Denny said, The giving of the Son at least includes the giving of Him to that death which, uh, as we have seen, pervades the gospel from beginning to end. We see that apart from it, men are lost. They perish instead of having eternal life. Friend, you cannot have life apart from the gospel. You cannot be uh, born again apart from the gospel. You cannot be found apart from the gospel. John chapter 12 verse 32 says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man? Matthew 21, verse 11. Or verse 10, they said, Who is this man? And some, uh, the, some person beside him said, This is Jesus of Nazareth. Listen, Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God that laid down His life for your sins that you might be saved. He laid down His life for the remission of sins that all your sins, past, present, and future, will be justified by Him on the cross. But it's up to you to receive that justification. It's up to you to come and accept His sacrifice that your sins might be forgiven and that your sins might be blotted out. It's up to you to come before Christ that He might acquit your sins and give you a full pardon. Wipe your slate clean. Take off your sentence. Take off the death penalty. Because at some point in our life, if we refuse to accept Christ and the atonement that He made on the cross, the death penalty is waiting on us. Not by electrocution. Not by injection. But it will be a slow death because sin is a deadly disease. And it will take you down. It will take you down. John chapter 12 verse 50. It says, And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. John chapter four, 14, uh, verse 6. It says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 15 and 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Revelation 22 13 and 16 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And may I tell you today, He has everything in between. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. What a blessedness to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. He's everything to me. 
Listen, when I'm down in the valley, He's the bright morning star that I can look down in the deepest, darkest valley. And I can look up like you walking through a tunnel and you see the light at the end. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. You might be in the darkest place in your life. But friend, if you will come and accept Christ as your Savior, I promise that He will become the light of your life and He will become the bright morning star. Notice what... uh, uh, John 8 and 12 said, He said, I am the light of the world. He that falleth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Lastly this morning, not only have I seen that Christ is 100% man, not only do I declare unto you that He is 100% God, but may I say this, the Master laid down His life for His servants. The great shepherd, the chief shepherd that Peter talked about, has gave his life for the sheep. Dr. R.C. Sproul said theologians typically typically speak of the life of Jesus as following a progression from humiliation to exaltation. In the incarnation, for the most part, the refulgent, dazzling glory of the being of God was concealed, hidden behind a shroud of Jesus' humanity. That's something that Jesus did willingly. Downplaying His glory, honor, and dignity by taking upon himself the form of a servant. In theology, we say that Jesus entered into his humiliation. He was born to a peasant woman. And and throughout his life, there was a progression deepening of this humiliation as he moved toward the cross. People rejected him. And he was mocked, scourged, beaten, and finally crucified. My Bible says, and he opened not his mouth. After the humiliation reached its steps, there was an explosion of exaltation whereby God vindicated him with the resurrection and surrounded him with the glory at his ascension. His ascension proved that he was God in the flesh. He was a humble servant. I've said that for many weeks now. He was a humble servant. He didn't ride in on a great white horse and claim the throne of the Roman government but he came in riding on a donkey. He was a humble servant. He came humble to die a sinner's death. The Bible says that he became sin for us. Yet he knew no sin. Romans chapter 8. Didn't know I was going here this morning. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be filled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Sorry, let me back up to verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. See, the law, it had a stronghold on us because... We were weak to it. We could not fulfill the law. We could not do what the law commanded of us. But God sent His own Son, Christ, to be made in the image of man, to be made in the image of sin, to do no sin. To no, he didn't know sin. He wasn't a sinner. 
But Christ said, I came not to do away with the law, but that the law through Him might be fulfilled. Meaning that if we will accept His righteousness, if we will accept the atonement, that He could perform the law through us and that He could keep us righteous before God. But we must walk in the Spirit. John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18. says, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. John chapter 13 verse 8 says, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now if you read John chapter 13, before this takes place, they're sitting down for the Last Supper. They're sitting down at a meal together. And in that day and time, the custom was that before you sat around the table, you had to wash your feet because you would wear sandals and they would be awfully dirty. And they'd be, uh, if, you, if it was raining or something, they would be uh, very muddy. And the servants of that house would have to uh, come with water and a towel and, and bathe your feet and wash your feet before you could sit at that resident's house uh, at their dining table. But Jesus, He became that servant. And the Bible says He arose from supper and He got a basin of water and He girded Himself with a towel and He started washing the disciples' feet, showing that He was a servant. The Master laid down His life for the servants. When He came to Peter, Peter turned away from Him and said, You ain't washing me. Now, he didn't do that out of pride. And perhaps he did, but I, I feel that Peter probably thought, well, Jesus, you're so much greater than we are. It should be us to wash your feet. You shouldn't have to wash our feet. But Jesus told him, he said, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. Friend, let me say this to you. That if you will not let Christ wash away your sin, if you will not let Him bathe you in that royal crimson blood, you'll have no part of Him. You'll have no part of Him. And when you stand before Christ, you will not have an advocate. See, there's two judgments coming. The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. And friend, I promise you do not want to stand in front of God in front of the great white throne judgment because it will be too late. But Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, He is looking to see who He's washed and who has had the blood applied to their life. He's going to be looking to see whose sins he is forgiven. Will you let Him wash you? Let Him wash you today. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John chapter 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He willingly laid down his life. 
John chapter 20. Quite a bit of reading here about the story of Thomas. Now, some have called him Doubting Thomas, but I don't believe that's true. Because there's been times in my life where I've said, Lord, I want to see your glory. I, listen, all my life I've heard that God is the God of the impossible. All my life I've, I've heard of how uh, Christ would heal people and, and by His stripes we are healed. So, And even in the Word of God, God said, prove me and try me. So, leading up to our revival... I walked around this sanctuary and I said, Lord, all my life I believe that you're the God of the impossible. I believe that you can do great and mighty things. I believe that you have all power. But I said, Lord, would you manifest it in my day and time? Would you let me see just a little bit of your glory today? Listen, for uh, way back in, in the uh, uh, 60s and 70s and 80s and early 90s, there was a mighty move of God in America. And people witnessed the power of God like nobody after the year 2000 has ever witnessed. Something happened during our revival that if you weren't here, you missed the presence of God. You missed the hand of God upon every service. I've never experienced the power of God and witnessed the presence of God the way that I did in that revival. It's not because of what I've done. It's because God is faithful. And God hears and answers prayer. And God is still the God of the impossible. God is still on His throne. And He is still saving sinners. Amen. Thomas. He didn't doubt what, the, what his friends told him. He knew that Christ was risen again. He remembered Christ's words, but he said, listen, John chapter 20, verse 24, says, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. All the verses I've given you this morning, it's so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is who He says He is. That He is the Son of God. And that believing on Him, you may have life in His name. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, 
crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Lost person, He died for you. He tasted death so you didn't have to. Seen on Facebook uh, this week from a friend of mine who's a preacher. He said that Christ drank the cup of suffering so that we could drink out of the cup of salvation. He's setting the cup of salvation before you this morning. And He's saying, come and get a drink. Come and get a drink. It'll be water for your soul. The blood of Christ, the salvation of Christ, this free gift will quench every thirst of sin in your life when you make Jesus your everything. Pastor, uh, Assistant Pastor Brian Bear of Rubeville Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, he wrote in the book, Holding Forth the Word of Life, he asked this question, what is truth? He states that a real conversion cannot come without a real crucifixion. A real conversion cannot come without a real crucifixion. Meaning that if Christ had not died, men and women could not be born again. Men and women could not be saved. But I'll take it a step further. The Lord spoke this to my heart. He said, Ben, real conversion cannot come without a real crucifixion. Meaning that when you come before Christ, you may kill, you must kill the old man. You must crucify your old nature. You must crucify the sinner so that Christ can bring conversion in your life and make you a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This morning they have set, this, the Lord has set the table for you. He said, I am that bread of life. If any man would just take of him, they shall never hunger. He has set before you the cup of salvation this morning. He said, if you'll just come get a drink, you shall never thirst. That's what he told the woman at the well. He said, woman, if you only knew the water that I shall give unto you, you'd be asking of me of what water I can give. Because he said, once those drink of the water that I have, there will be a well within them springing up life everlasting. And the water that he gives, it is everlasting. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Everything in this life doesn't mean the same that it used to because now I have Jesus and He is my everything.